In a passage that's familiar to many of you, Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So I again ask you, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? End quote. Do you realize that the primary focus of the devil's schemes, lies, and temptations is to bewitch you? His primary focus of all his schemes is focused upon believers. And that focus is to bewitch you. Well, what do we mean now by bewitching? We mean after conversion to continue the Christian life upon some other basis other than how you entered into that life, which, of course, was by the work of the Spirit in believing what you heard. You see, for Paul, in the letter to the Galatians, we live by the Spirit, Therefore, let us walk by the Spirit, that is to say, to keep in step with the Spirit, literally, to be following in line with the Spirit. That's Galatians 5.25. The imagery here is like elementary children lining up behind their teacher to walk to the cafeteria, or soldiers who march in single file behind the commander. Paul asks them, you are running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Galatians 5, 7-9 So contrary to the way that many of us have been taught to read Galatians through our Protestant lens in which everything is about justification by faith, as important as that is, Paul's primary concern here is not how they entered into the Christian faith, because they have done that. They, these are genuine Christians. They have had uh, experience with the Spirit. They've heard the gospel. They've responded in faith. And now they have uh, experienced the, the Spirit in regeneration and sealing and being filled with the Spirit, even to the point where there were miracles being done among them. But now the false teachers have come in and they're going to define how you should live out the Christian life. And that is always the devil's primary concern. He couldn't keep you from coming to Christ. He couldn't keep you from having a genuine experience of the Spirit with regeneration and sealing and filling. So the devil's purpose is to keep you from learning to walk in the Spirit to live the Christian life in the Spirit, and thereby experience ever-increasing conformity to the image of Christ and to love one another even as Christ loved you.
That's his purpose. That's why he's cut in on you. And he does that by teaching you to walk away from or desert the one who called you in favor of man-made traditions and rules. So let me say it again. The primary purpose of God is for you to walk in the Spirit and thereby experience increasing conformity to the image of Christ and to love one another even as Christ has loved you. That's the purpose for which God causes all things to work together for good in your life. And that's the singular purpose that the devil seeks to short-circuit in your life. So, this isn't about justification. This is about after you've been justified, after you've had your initial conversion, how it is that you live out the Christian life. And that's where the devil has always placed his emphasis. So we read Paul wrongly when we assume his primary concern in Galatians, especially, was justification by faith alone. And that's true, too, for the letter to the Romans. As important as justification by faith alone is, Paul's concern in all his letters is that his readers remain true to God's calling and work out the life of Christ within them by the Spirit and to display this within their respective communities. So, we enter into the purpose of God by hearing with faith, by the Spirit, and we are to continue the Christian life on that same basis, not shrinking back into man-made traditions, rule-keeping, all of which may sound very pious and spiritual, by the way, but in fact are Satan's design to stunt your growth in Christ to make you dull of hearing, and to bewitch you into falling for a law-based gospel that actually alienates you from Christ. So that instead of ever increasing intimacy with Christ as you become more like him, you in fact become estranged from him and fall from the grace to which you were called. So what's the remedy for this? How are we to avoid this? The remedy is to mark and avoid those who would lay upon your shoulders after conversion the law in regard to man-made traditions or even the Mosaic law. Things such as mandatory tithing to gain blessing or avoid a curse, Sabbath days, confessions, creeds, mandatory church service, elevated clergy, sitting through monologue sermons and spectator-oriented services, feast days, holy seasons, observance of the so-called moral law, end quote, the Ten Commandments, infant baptism, etc., etc., etc. All man-made traditions designed to keep you from growing in Christ. And Satan and his minions are committed doing just that. Instead, we must learn to walk in the Spirit by learning to hear the voice of the Spirit within the inspired text. We must never allow the Spirit to be separated from the text. Our experience of the Spirit must never be separated from the inspired text itself. 
After all, it was the Spirit who inspired the Scripture. And the folly, the other scheme that the devil often exercises, is to get us to do just that. To claim to be so spiritual, we don't need the text, we just need to have our emotionalism. We need to have our subjective spiritual experiences and then call it, the Lord told me to say this. Or we go way over to the other extreme and we quench the Spirit and think that the Christian life is about learning how to read the Bible as if it was just a textbook. And we end up walking by the letter and not by the Spirit. So we must never allow ourselves to separate the Spirit from the experience with the Scripture itself. So to learn to walk in the Spirit by learning to hear the voice of the Spirit within the inspired text and love one another. Listen, it's not the Mosaic Law or man-made rules that serves as a restraint for sin, but walking by the Spirit. This is what Paul says in Galatians 5.16. He says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. But if you were to listen to many traditions today, you'd hear something like, So I say, walk by the moral law, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Or, so I say, walk by our confession, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Or, make sure you give 10% of your gross income, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Or, come back on Sunday evening for Sabbath evening services, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. See the contrast? Paul said none of that. He says, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. In your lifetime, you will be part of one or two types of church communities, a community of the Spirit or the community of the flesh. And Paul goes on in Galatians 5 to describe both of those communities See, this is where it's important not to read the letter to the Galatians as if it's about individual salvation alone. He's speaking to a community of believers. And he's saying his primary concern is that if they don't walk by the Spirit, their whole community will start to look like a community grounded in the works of the flesh. And he'll say it here, beginning in verse 19, The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And Paul's solution is not to point you to the Ten Commandments. Paul's solution is not to subscribe the so-called moral law. Paul's solution is not to hang a confession, the Westminster Confession of Faith, around your neck. Paul's solution is for you to learn to walk by the Spirit. And if you do, your community and your contribution into the community will look like this. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, 
gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Jesus Christ, or those who belong to Christ Jesus, excuse me, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. You see the contrast there? There's only two things you can do within community. You can learn to walk and keep in step with the Spirit, or ultimately, you're going to give in to some kind of conceited, provoking envying of each other. I've been a part of several church communities in my lifetime, and I've seen several of those church communities come falling apart because of the very things that he describes as the works of the flesh. The church of the last days will be a church of the flesh, devoid of the Spirit. Paul describes that church in 2 Timothy 3, 1-5. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Incredible. What an astonishing statement. And what an astonishingly accurate description of many evangelical churches in America today, especially in the charismatic movement. So that's the church of the last days. You don't want to be a part of it. Trust me. Instead, become part of a community of the Spirit. And you can do that even if you have to start with just two or three of you and build upon that, trusting the Lord to add to your numbers. But come out of the other. Come out of that church of the last days. That church has given over to the love of self, the love of money, the boasting, the pride, the abuse, the disobedience, the ungrateful, ungratitude, the unholiness, devoid of love, brutal people, treacherous, rash, and conceited. But what they form or a uh, appearance of religion that repudiates the power thereof. So I, I hope you hear what I'm saying here. It's always important to recognize that we read the letters of the New Testament in the Gospels and read the book of Revelation through the eyes of the author and not be too swayed by reading it through the eyes of Luther or Calvin or some other tradition. Paul's concern in the book of Galatians, for instance, is not about justification by faith alone. He's not concerned about how they entered into their conversion. He knows how that they were converted. He knows they responded to the gospel by hearing with faith and that they had an initial experience with the Spirit. 
No, he understands that the devil is now seeking to cut in on them as they begin their Christian life and divert them from the truth and get them to now seek to relate to God on the basis of man-made rules and traditions and law. There's only one rule, Paul says, and he concludes his letter to the Galatians by saying there's only one primary rule. Let's look at that and we'll close there. Galatians 6, 11 through 16. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand, Paul said. He's really driving this home, isn't he? He's really trying to make a point here. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. That was the entry point into the Jewish community. And he's trying they're all they're trying to get the Gentiles to adopt Jewish identity markers and telling them, you can't be members of the people of God if you don't do these things. See, that's how it works. Glad that you received Jesus as our Messiah. Glad you received our Messiah. Now you have to become one of us. The only reason they do this, he says, is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised, not meaning the Judaizers themselves, they don't even keep the law, he says. Yet they want you to be circumcised, that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, says the apostle, through which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Are you a new creation in Christ? That's what counts. It doesn't count. All this other stuff doesn't count. Are you a new creation in Christ? Have you been reborn? Have you been experienced the rebirth of the Spirit? Are you born of God? Then continue to walk by the Spirit. And then he says this. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. End quote. So what's Paul's rule? What's the one rule he gives to us post-conversion? To continue to walk in the newness of life as new creations, birthed by the Spirit, and having begun by the Spirit let us continue and let us finish by the Spirit. Amen.